Need a new set of optics? For more than a decade, Riton Optics has been providing optic solutions for hunters and shooters of all types and disciplines. Check out their Primal line for those products geared more towards us hunters. From binoculars and spotting scopes to your basic 3-9 to nine scopes and longer range crossover models, the Primal line from Riton was made for hunters. Learn more at RitonOptics.com. That's Riton, R-I-T-O-N, Optics.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is the OKS Hunter Podcast. Never pass on shooter bucks, if that's just me in the freezer. It's your tag, you hunt how you want. This is OKS Hunter. Howdy, howdy, and welcome to the OKS Hunter Podcast. Coming at you from the OKS Hunter Podcast studio here in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, where things got really weird before we hit the record button tonight. Yeah. When don't things get weird? I don't know. Things are always weird. Let's get that a little closer to your mouth there. How's that? Hello? Is that better? Step up, speaking to the microphone. There it is. Yeah? Yeah, Yeah, I think so. Mic check. Okay. Yeah, I hope that's right. They look cooler when they're over here. They totally do. (laughs) Hey, guys and gals. uh, Another awesome week here. It's uh, (laughs) coming off of a gigantic kid birthday party. I think my house still looks like a bomb went off. You guys were here. It was super fun, though. Yeah, it was. Kids had a blast. (laughs) Yeah, maybe that's what my deal is today. I don't know. I use my iPad to run the speaker outside, which could have been the mistake. I really don't understand, but essentially, uh, it just stopped broadcasting our video. And I don't know how to... I set it up once a long time ago, and it worked magically, and I didn't want to breathe on it, and something happened. Yeah, it's crazy. Anyway, uh, shout out to Spartan Forge for sponsoring our goofy selves over here and being our premier sponsor. They are the premier mapping application in the whitetail world, and uh, I've been on it heavily this week. Good to hear. Just all up in it. <laughs> like I've been looking at like you old in a tree on Spartan Forge. Oh my I gosh! Was in that tree for a while. And how, like, how much have you gone through the like the um, other dates of pictures of the UAV, like back in time to like see winter pattern versus summer pattern like with growth and paths and things like that and deer trails i've i've done it some but i don't flip constantly i usually just flip it between like summer and then like your your fall okay as leaf off it was um so i'm not flipping constantly but i do i mean like i'm like oh is that a is that a buck bed like that's kind of where i'm at i'm holy cow it's just so detailed someone shared like a drone video of these (laughs) bucks looking up at the drone a drone and and someone's like basically spartan forge Oh, Spartan Forge close. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, we're also great friends and, and partners and pals with the folks at Latitude Outdoors. Be sure to check those guys out. Any Anybody we're mentioning, feel free to use the code OHP at the uh, checkout and you'll save some money. Um, I, I'm getting into the saddle this week in my yard a bunch to just 
kind of go through the motions uh, at the base of the tree and go through some mock setups and, and shooting as much as I can with the limited amount of time that I have left here. And uh, I'll be hunting out of the saddle because that's all I have. <laughs> I don't have a... I shouldn't say that. I do have tree stands, but they're just old. The saddle will work yeah. perfect. The saddle will be fine. Yeah. And then uh, I'll be flinging the new Vector ZMRs. I got two of them on display here in the studio just to... Because I got a couple of them right now. I got 12. So I, I'm okay for a little bit. I want to get the new broadheads, but I don't think they're out yet. No, they're not. They're, uh, they're, they're dropping soon. They should be dropping soon. Right now, it's pre-order. So yeah, get on there and order some. When you get them, start testing. Yeah. And then if we happen to have any luck this weekend, uh, we can tag out on Go Wild and tag okay. our, our trophy over there, log it, whatever you want to call it. And uh, you can log your time against the hunt also, even if you don't get anything, and you'll get a bunch of points. And when you get those points, you can redeem them for discounts or free stuff even. So Free is good. Time to go wild.com. Again, use code OHP. You can buy our hats over there. You can buy all sorts of products over there. And then you can even like select the gear that you're using so other people can see how you got it done. So everyone really wants to see Derek's setup and Greg's setup. And no one wants to see mine. Although some of our stuff is not available yet over there because they only work with so many brands, but that's growing and evolving and changing. So if you Can add you something, yeah, like last year I added iron wool broadheads and they're, they're not on there, but no. you can, you can add them. But I've, I added them two years ago when I first started. Yeah. So, so even so. if it's not something that's like there, you can still add it, which cool. is kind of cool. But if it is there, then that means people can buy it from their platform. So just a, a neat thing overall. I think it's pretty cool. Uh, some, someone said, Matt said, nice hats, guys. <laughs> yeah. Nice hats. Indeed. We have new hats. I should probably talk about that yeah. before we bring on our guest. Head's feeling nice and warm. Very warm. <laughs> yeah. Greg and I had to do something to differentiate because we showed up tonight wearing the same shirt. Matching shirt. Yeah. And pants hats. too almost. Jeez, you guys. Yeah. We same didn't even shirt. coordinate this. Those are, no. the, the shirts are from Oak Tree Dreams, right? Yep. Yes, they are. Yeah. And the hats are okay, awesome. Hunter. <laughs> I don't want to stretch this out. On yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, those are. Our, I mean, you could probably have those ones. Uh, back, we have the 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 ones that say Shooter Buck also, but I just don't have those ones here. So, cool. Yeah, new stuff. And then we had a new sweatshirt that hit the website last night. Uh, did the Deerwoods another Deerwoods one? Sweet. So yeah. Anyway, that's uh, it's kind of crazy. You guys having a good week? You guys feel stressed as I do right now? Man, my, no. My week uh, started interesting. I was on my way. I got up early to get some coffee stuff for school because I got like a little Keurig at school, a little coffee station for anybody who needs that caffeine bump. So I got up early, ran to the grocery store, picked up some to-go cups, some more coffee and some creamer, and made it about 15 minutes down the road. And my colleague texted me and she said, hey, did you hear? There's no school today. And I was like, she's messing with me. Like, of course there's school today. And I'm like, BS. She's like, no, uh, we just got this message. And she sent me a screenshot, and it did say that. And I was like, well, where are you? Are you at school? She's like, well, no, I was on my way. I turned around and went back. Turns out, no power. Hey, yeah. that's so a win. didn't get power back till 11, so no school. So I had a weird day. I got to do some projects and get out in the woods scouting yesterday. Yeah, you found the freshest deer sign I've ever seen, an actual deer. I watched a deer poop it out. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Scarf it up and poop it out. Oh my I gosh! Eat the acorns. Take there was well, a dog right in front of me. <laughs> I want to bring on our guest, so I feel bad because we're already thirty minutes in, and we were supposed to be doing this thirty minutes ago, and just tech stuff has been out of control. So TikTok. Yeah, that well, that's not from TikTok, but I do want to welcome our guest on the show. Uh, Aaron Hay Bison, and I think I got your last name right. If you want to unmute yourself, Aaron, and uh, join the chat here, I think we can hear you. We're reading lips, aren't we? I think. Oh, oh, I know why. 
Hey, Aaron, can you hear us okay? I can. Welcome to the show. I think I got your name correct. I don't know if you heard it because I had the phone part on mute, but it's Aaron Haybison with the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. And uh, we're going to be talking about some really interesting things tonight for, for those that don't know and want to sound really smart, um, wildlife ecology. But you're the chapter coordinator for Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois, and Missouri. I am. Yeah, you're gonna you're building me up too much, though. So now I'm gonna look like I'm pressure's on. We didn't even talk about the boots yet. <laughs> <laughs> Boot specialist. <clears throat> I do have it in the title of the episode, so we'll see where we'll, we'll see where the conversation takes us. But um, I, yeah, we'll just start out a little bit by by talking about how you got into hunting and uh, how you got into wildlife ecology. And, and whatever that journey looks like, give us the, the elevator pitch on, on your life's journey. Sum it up in <laughs> your life's journey in a minute. See, ready, go. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, so grew up hunting in Minnesota. Started, I think, like a lot of uh, us did or do in the Midwest. You know, you start at deer camp at 12 years old and you're sitting around a card table and there's this haze of cigar smoke that's over the table and uh you know it's the the uncles and the grandpas and uh you're learning how to to mix a drink at 12 years old because you can't drink them so you might as well mix them for somebody and (laughs) deal in five card draw uh and that was kind of what was the start of getting into hunting um but my grandpa was a uh, big safari club member um and so he traveled all around the world africa a few times alaska new zealand um, and there was always trophies that he came home with. And, uh, it, it was a kind of a unique way of getting into wildlife because I'd sit there and read sports, a field, or look at a wildebeest and a heart of beast on the wall and go, why are those different? Like, and really broke down like scientific names and the nerd out stuff of, you know, how fast does this animal run versus this? And why does, uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, a bison eat a different diet than a antelope, you know, those kind of things that really like got me into the nerdy scientific side of things. Um, but it was all on these animals that had been hunted. So, uh, I think that's what really kind of drove me to pay more attention to different wildlife around the, the world. And, um, which led to going to college at Iowa state for a wildlife degree. And, uh, I guess the official title was animal ecology. Um, and through that, started working for the USDA. Uh, they've got a big facility in Ames, Iowa. And so I was an intern there working in wildlife disease research. And through that, it just kind of ping-ponged uh, to different uh, opportunities. So I got to uh, come up to, while I was a student, southeastern Minnesota in 2010 when there was a big CWD spike uh, and sit in a trailer and extract lymph nodes, pull out lymph nodes from um deer and see if they were positive for cwd and that kind of cemented the like i said the scientific side of things um and then yeah fast forward to worked a little bit on and off with the usda and dnr and then uh yeah now i took a took a little hiatus uh and worked in the boot industry for irish setter as the hunting boot specialist there in customer service so if you called customer service uh, and had a question about Irish Thunder Boots. I was the guy who answered the phone for three and a half years, and now I've been with Backcountry Hunters and Anglers since 
since about March. That's a journey, man. And you did that really well. I think you did sum that up in about 60 seconds. That's that impressive. Amazing. Well done, sir. Well done. <laughs> That's quite the career. The US, like, you, what do you, yeah, the USDA, isn't that like food, you know, and, and meat processing, right? Yeah. So um, typically that's what people think of, you know, USDA grade beef or whatever. Um, but they also have their animal research facilities. So they were the ones that were looking into swine flu, bird flu, um, bovine tuberculosis, which, yeah, they all deal with domestic pigs, domestic uh, birds and cows but they also deal with bison and deer and uh, migrating geese and ducks and wild pigs. So uh, they've got their, their wildlife side of things too. Uh, and that was the, the, I guess, piece that I, that I worked for. Yeah. I never knew that, that they had that wildlife side and studied kind of the, mm-hmm. the natural side. That's pretty cool. And they kind of have their hands full yeah. right now with all the avian bird flu going on in the wild flocks of waterfowl. Yeah, for sure. When I was there, they were, uh, that was kind of during the first bout of uh, avian flu. So there was like certain buildings that were total lockdown. I mean, we're talking like tarp tented in, uh, looked like they were fogging for mosquito or fogging for roaches or something like that in there. But they were uh, having it all on super lockdown and you had to thumbprint scan into some of these rooms. Oh and uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty intense. Like you're there as a kid and I never really thought much of it. I'm like, oh, this is the job. And then you <laughs> kind of take a 40,000-foot view of it, and you're like, holy smokes, I had to have six months of background checks from the FBI to be able to do this job. Oh, and wow. I'm 22. What do I know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, squeaky clean at 22. Well, maybe, you know, some of us. Right. <laughs> I don't know if I was Yeah, they, like, they, they went and interviewed, Clark. like, grade school teachers and my <laughs> – you know, high, high school hockey team parents to be like, is this due to terrorists? <laughs> uh, I get, I get these high school hockey buddies of mine calling and being like, why is my dad getting a call about you from the FBI? I was like, just answer it, whatever. Just make me sound do good. Whatever, do whatever they tell you, man. <laughs> <laughs> right. I need to go to work. You don't want to know what's going to happen if you say something bad. Oh about my me. gosh. That's funny. So it was really bad. When I had to go interview my college roommates in this, like, super dingy apartments that are like beer stained floors. And I'm like, yeah, this screams model citizen. <laughs> that's pretty, it's pretty great. Actually. How funny is that? They're probably like, yeah, oh, God, this is just part of the <laughs> right. job. Yeah. Okay. SD ecologist. <laughs> I don't know about that. So talk about like, what, what is your definition if you have one for wild, like wildlife ecology and, and what can we learn from that? You know, as the, the season is like, on the horizon right now today for most states they're either already open or about to open and so what can we extract from you to learn more about deer so we can hunt them successfully or just some interesting facts honestly what how how would you define it and uh let's see where that takes us yeah i guess uh i would define like ecology as uh like the systems of biodiversity uh for different i don't know uh environmental elements. So uh, if a person is really into plants, uh, that's dendrology. And you're into mammals, that's mammalogy. Uh, If you're really into snakes and reptiles, that's herpetology. And so there's all of these really like specific pieces of, uh, you know, segments that can really like 
narrow in and be really, really specific and filtered down. But uh, ecology is kind of the, the overwhelming system of all of that stuff. Uh, the air, the water, the trees, the animals, and how they all kind of like systematically work together. It's a good definition. Dang. That's a big definition. There's a lot going on there. <laughs> it's like the important part, though. It's like studying anything, you know, by itself individually is just like one small piece of the puzzle and like how they interact and how, right. you know, the, the population of one species might be affected because of something totally different. And if you right. study that one thing, you're never going to get the whole picture. For so. every action, there's a... It's like the practical A science. reaction, and it might not be a, a, yeah. a positive reaction either. Right. You can know everything there is to know about deer and how deer work and uh, how they pattern, how they move, uh, when to hunt them, looking at moon phases. But if you don't know, like, what's happening in the environment around them, you know, whether that's predators or uh, temperature, drought, like, all of those things plan into the play into the ecology of uh, deer. And that's the stuff, well, I think we were talking about this last week a little bit, like, if you saw a deer one season doing something or several deer doing something, there's so many variables to why that deer was there. You know, like you talk about even just destination food plots and crop fields or egg fields, like maybe last year it was beans and this year it's corn. That changes things and that's something that you can visibly see. But then, like you said, drought or in, in this most recent case, we had... What, how many inches of rain fell in the last six, two days? Six plus inches of rain where we've had almost three years worth of drought and the swamps and marshes. Have been how many dry. bucks were just bedding back there all summer long because it was dry and they could? And now they're, they're kicked out. Yeah. And that's a, that's a right. change. And that's a change this season that might not be applicable next season. We scouted an area that was pretty dry. Looked like it could have been like a small pond. I bet you there's a small pond yep. there now. I bet you there's a, probably two feet of water in there. <laughs> you know? I would be willing to bet more. you there's a fair amount, and it's pretty darn sopping wet. Yeah, and those are just a couple of the variables. But that also has an impact on predation and, and how they live in the environment, too. And so there's just always this moving and shifting of, like, tectonic plates of the environment. How do you begin to understand that stuff? It's like economics. Like, if you move this lever, these things change. And when those things change, those things change. How do you understand that stuff? Like, how do you begin to, economics is hard enough, and that's like money and markets. Wild life and wild game, like, that we don't get to visibly see all the time? What? And maybe maybe you'd be a really big fan of Spartan Forge with what they've done with, you know, deer-colored information and how they've built some AI around that over millions of data points. Like, they're, they're yeah. an interesting use case of how we can understand animals. For sure. Yeah, I would, I'll take ecology over economics every day. <laughs> ecology <laughs> for uh, 10? Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I said the same thing this year about, you know, waterfowl. Last year, it was really, really hard on the ducks because it was so dry, especially, like, out in North Dakota where there was, uh, you know, this huge drought year. And so all these little sloughs and marshes and ponds that normally house, you know, 70% of the nation's ducks and duck hatches, uh, it was it was way, way, way down. And so the thought was, well, this is going to hurt duck numbers a lot. Uh, but those living ducks had to go somewhere. And so are they going to come over to the Mississippi Flyway and move over to between the Minnesota-Wisconsin line? Or are they going to fly farther west and head towards the mountains? Like, And that's just one piece of it. And th so you're thinking, well, duck numbers are going to be really, really down this year. Um, 
but then we add predation into it as well. And so there's, you know, any number of things that you're like, well, we can't really point to one thing. It's like when someone asks you, like, why do you hunt? Like, how, how, who points to one thing with that? Like, there's always a number of things that go into it, whether it's the challenge or the food uh, or, you know, testing yourself, the interest in animals. Like, there's so many parts and pieces. It's really hard to point to any one thing. And, I mean, for us in Minnesota, deer is the same thing. Uh, Northern Minnesota has lower deer numbers. Uh, they don't have as much agriculture. And so that alone, you're thinking, well, okay, maybe that's the one thing that plays into why there's uh, lower deer numbers up here. But then you add in uh, predation, you know, whether that's wolves or coyotes or, uh, you know, what have you. Uh, you. You really can't point to one thing. Uh, you know, climate change might be changing uh, the the length of the season, longer um, snowless, less frozen time means ticks are living longer. Ticks that live longer can affect deer for a longer time period in the year. And that's going to allow them to have more potential to get sick, more potential to transmit to other deer. And all of that could be, well, maybe that's why it's different than it's been in the past. Um, so it's one thing to kind of keep an eye on, like, you can't really point to one piece or another. You can speculate, uh, but until you really break down year to year on each of those things um, and then compile all that data, like you're going to just guess them. Now, Aaron, is that what happened? I know, gosh, 10, 12 years ago, maybe, and I could be wrong, but I know the moose population in Northern Minnesota took a really big hit. Um, They lost thousands of animals. And a lot of what I read said that it was based on ticks. They had such bad tick infestations that they were rubbing, you know, their almost like their fur hides off and then having problems in the winter with frostbite and freezing. Is is that a part of what happened with them? Like the tick populations were bad for a year or two and then that, that played a toll on it? Or what happened there? Yeah, for sure. Uh, that's definitely a piece of it. So um, th- that's one thing that they have kind of speculated uh, caused a lot of that, that moose decline um, was the uh, – Longer, longer summers, longer fall, long, less frozen time in the year, killed off less ticks. Um, and so, they, I mean, there were people that were reporting moose that were covered in 30,000 ticks or something ridiculous like that. And so those ticks and then also uh, brainworm was another one that was similar. It was a, um, something that was living longer throughout the year, gave more time for the animals to be affected and then transmit from animal to animal uh, without that, that freeze off. Um, and so that, yeah, certainly hurt. Um, you heard local reports of, well, there's more wolves on the landscape. We need to, we need to get rid of more wolves. That's why uh, all these moose are dying off. It's like, well, maybe, but it can't only be the only thing that's mm-hmm. causing this. Like we have to look at, there's always been that many wolves on the landscape. Why now is this piece different? Yep. And so, and t- trying to take a step back and like I said a lot of it's guesswork uh, and that's why you know the DNR or whatever wildlife agency is in certain states looks at these different things and that's why your season or your uh, bag limits are changing every year because they're guessing uh, making the best educated guess based on science and then the next year they go nope we weren't quite right let's do it again the next year Based on our numbers, based and that on has our an harvest, impact, and that has an impact yeah. in and of itself. Right. If, if, if shooting less of a species is 
traditionally a good thing for the species. It's like an it, it's an actually never ending moving target. It 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 doesn't stop moving and shifting. Even Everything as you're shooting so it, it's fluid. still going. Everything is fluid. Like and so, yeah. like if I, if I'm literally shooting a moving target and I'm, I'm shooting dead center, and then it you know jolts to the right and I shoot, then I'm basing my next move off of that shot. But then the target moves again. So I could have been right, but like, well, now it's changing. It's just constant. So you're always just trying to be as close to center as maybe you can with some of those best guesses. That sounds like a fool's errand for me because I could never handle that. I would like, I'd be like, I give up. I give up. The nice part about it is then if you're wrong, you can adjust. Whereas like with math, if you're wrong, you're just wrong. Yeah, or the Uh, weather, or the weatherman. Again. It's like the, it's like the, uh, yeah. the farmer's almanac. You know, every year they're trying to predict crop growth. And, and I don't know, that's, it's hard to predict stuff that you can actually see trends in. No one predicted COVID, you know? <laughs> so everyone's like, our 2020 forecast is going to be great. And then boom, you know, the world changed. You just can't, you can't prepare for everything. It's insane. I mean, and if you have a hard winter, that's going to maybe group, I'm using out west for an example, but like it's a really hard winter all those elk might come off the mountain a lot earlier. And that also means they're going to be more easily targeted by hunters. If you have a normal unit that normally has a, let's say 10% success rate. And all of a sudden it's a really harsh winter and everything comes down to hay fields and feeds. And then there's a 25% success rate and they go, Oh shit, there's too many elk shot last year. We got to back those numbers down. Like that's just a part of the game. Yeah. And uh, I'm assuming you're a deer hunter also, I obvious guess, in Minnesota. And Wisconsin and Minnesota aren't too different in terms of terrain and habitat and environment and so forth. I mean, I think Minnesota arguably has maybe a, a slightly harsher winter, hence the nickname Minnesota. <laughs> but right. when, is your, when is Minnesota's oh. season open for Bo? Uh, archery season is this Saturday. Same for us. Yeah, okay. It mirrors ours. Okay. And, and then uh, our gun season is usually a little bit earlier than yours. It's the the first weekend, first full weekend of November, always is. And you guys are so I mean, like right in the red. You guys are essentially a one buck state unless you're in a CWD zone, correct? Right. They've come out with new regulations for the year, uh, and they're a little bit more loose than they have been in the past. Um, but yeah, down in the unit or area that I live in. You can shoot up to three deer, uh, one of which can be a buck. Gotcha. I'm trying to think of, I'm, I'm waiting to see someone like ask a question in the comments and I see some more comments coming through and I know uh, someone said, hey, bison, the, <laughs> literally, hey, bison. The, uh, the ecology thing and something that we're going to have to deal with this weekend when we go out. Um, I was just working yesterday, working on, didn't have school, working on rebuilding some antlers, and I had a podcast going on TV, it was Exodus Outdoor Gear, mm-hmm. and they were mm-hmm. talking to Tony Peterson, mm-hmm. one of the most renowned public land do a DIY going all over. He was talking about, like Nebraska, for example, but he was saying, like, not just scouting for water or for food, but like, if there's a heavy rain before you go, and hot weather after, the mosquito hatches can be so bad, and he was talking about areas that have small woodlots like Nebraska, but the mosquitoes will be so bad in those areas that the deer will evacuate, even if they've been all there all summer. Smart all deer. Summer, so many That's mosquitoes, they'll yeah. go bed somewhere where they can get a little bit of wind, sure. right? And 
it was like, man, that's part of ecology that not every deer hunt. Like, you just look for sign and hunt deer. But here, you got to think about that whole other aspect of, like, they don't want to be pestered and bugged constantly no. and have 100 ticks on their ears. So I thought that was, a, that was pretty interesting. I don't, I am not looking forward to that part of the hunt. I'm, I wouldn't, I'm not scared. You're a little scared. Like, but I'm, I'm really like. Kind of sounded scared. I'm really <laughs> fearful that it's going to ruin bad. my time Fear and in a major way. The same thing. <laughs> I'm not scared, but I'm really fearful. <laughs> I'm really <laughs> concerned about like, it. You justify it, and you're like, well, the deer won't be here either because they don't like bugs either. Yeah, you just gave me a justification point. Like, Derek, why are we going to go where the deer aren't? You just told me they're not going to be there because mosquitoes are bad. What do you think What do you think is going to happen to us? <laughs> <laughs> Thermocell, shmermocell, it's not going to work. It's supposed to be windy. That's a plus. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. Wind, right? If you get are up you, in a tree, get high up enough in the elevation, the they, they don't bother you as bad. But if you get up to about 1,000 feet, they won't be up there. Right. <laughs> they, <laughs> can't breathe. they can't breathe. <laughs> Aaron, are you going to brave the mosquitoes? Are you going out this weekend at all? Uh, well, uh, I have two weddings this year, and they are on air tree opener and gun opener. <laughs> oh, I remember you telling me that. So, I know. I have the worst friends. Uh, <laughs> but I plan on getting out right in the morning. You know, as soon as I get back, it is uh, it plant some stands this week and then hopefully hit it a couple hours before work uh, during the weeks. Plus then uh, you're not facing the crowds quite as much. I feel like during the week as, uh, as you get sometimes on the weekend. Someone just, or said, at least less dog walk. Right. <laughs> That's true. Someone just commented the 186 degree weather yesterday, seen a ton of deer at 4 PM kept me from getting where I wanted to be on the field. That's interesting. You know, the, the heat too is just, this is a, a tough time of year. You got to take a really clean, tight shot so that deer's not going to run too far in the in the heat. Where the you're going to, uh, yeah, that's ideal. That's you, ideal for sure to be able to do that. But it doesn't always, always work, that work that way. But it's more critical now than it is later in the season. It's kind of what I'm thinking. Greg just likes to hear himself talk over there. <laughs> He's pulling up his phone for something. No, I'm trying to see who. who uh, it doesn't allow me to see who our Facebook users are. Uh, it does that uh, if they come through, I think, the Shooter Buck Club. Ah, okay. Yeah, but if I click it, I'll, I'll probably have an audio problem, so I'm going to stay far away from that. Yep, don't do <laughs> That's it. That's why I checked it on yeah. the phone. <laughs> the audio problems. So what can you tell us about being a boot specialist? Um, well, uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of ended up in in the... I don't know, I guess industry side of, of the hunting outdoor world. Um, I moved to uh, southeastern Minnesota. I was substitute teaching, actually, for a part-time gig for a little while and found my way back into the outdoor space through Irish Setter Boots. Um, they were looking for a hunting boot specialist, and they didn't have anybody at that point on the staff who really hunted. I mean, so they were focusing on a lot more of the work side of things uh needed somebody who could help them out with with hunting boots and um so whether that was uh hiking versus rubber or tread pattern or you know why is gore-tex different than uh whatever you know your, your more generic brand waterproofing um that was kind of the stuff that i enjoyed nerding out about on boots uh the coolest 
part of the job was, I mean, you get the standard warranty questions and, hey, my sole came off, I need a resole, or I need a new set of laces. But the cool part was when you'd get somebody to call in from Alabama or Connecticut and say, hey, I just pulled my first elk tag. What kind of boots do I need? And I was going, well, do you, are you archery hunting? Are you gun hunting? Is it early season, late season? Um, are you going high uh, elevation, low elevation? And they're like, holy smokes, you had more questions than I did about this. <laughs> and it's like, well, <laughs> all of that stuff kind of, again, like systems, it plays in together. I don't just want to give you the elk tracker boot because you're going elk hunting. Like there's but a time at the right trackers. place. For that. They have to be. Right but if you're going to go early season, you need something super light, super fast that you're going to be chasing with. Um, and uh, yeah, you don't want a super, yeah, it's bomb proof, but you don't want something super heavy. Sure. Everything's uh, it's application specific. I mean, I do tech support for a manufacturer. So guys will call in looking for a certain product and then, I come back at them with a pile of questions, you know, what are you trying to do with it? Basically, what, what are, yep. what are the conditions of the system? So that's exactly what you have to do in order to really make the right decision. Yeah. There's never a, a silver bullet. Like one, if there was a one perfect answer for everything, we'd only make one boot. But, uh, some people like even within the whitetail world, if that question come in, I mean, some people are, hardcore dyed in the wool we got to have rubber we got to have neoprene got to go scent free and i think personally that was something that the industry drove uh at the time there was a lot of folks focusing on that scent control piece of it which you know good on them that's some people's go-to boot and i don't fault them at all for it but if i'm going to go try and hike in three miles i'm not going to do it in rubber boots no. I would rather have some. I live my rubber like boots. A, I treat them like my Crocs. They're they're like, I have like, hey dudes, Crocs, and rubber boots, and all of them are slippers. <laughs> <laughs> if that just doesn't show and highlight my okay, rubber boots are not fun for hiking long distance. So anything well, over a mile is going to be pretty ugly. I, I had no problem hiking right. over a mile. My so rubber the boots. Trade-off, I mean, the trade off for that though is like, so I I usually wear like a hiking boot style myself, just because then for me, it's more versatile. I can climb a tree in it. I can uh, usually ford at least a little bit of a creek with it. Uh, they drive fairly fast and I can be on the move without knowing I'm going to get blisters. So I usually go hiking boot style just because for me, it's more versatile. I can use it in more applications. Um, but like in the, in the spring, you know, if I'm turkey hunting, if you walk through enough dewy field, those boots are going to get soaked. Uh, so in the, in the spring, you get a lot of calls for leaking boots. Um, but that's when I, I sort of have to explain waterproofing to people uh, that if it's meant to be a breathable boot, it's, it's not a matter of if, but it's a matter of when. That boot eventually, I tell people it's like a, uh, like a screen door. Waterproofing is like a screen door. If you take a screen door and flip it on its side and you put a few drips of water onto it and let it sit there, you can shake that screen door and it'll fleck off that water and it won't penetrate that screen. But if you put enough water onto that screen or shoot a garden hose through it, as if you were walking through a river, it's going to force its way through that membrane. Again, it's meant to breathe. It's meant to pull the moisture away from your feet and that, that has to be 
a, a breathable membrane. So it's just how tight your, your chain link weave is. Uh, and Gore-Tex has a lot more pores per square inch than another model might or another uh, waterproofing membrane might. But ultimately, they're all the same. You know, it's just how tight your mesh is. And that's going to allow bigger water molecules to penetrate through in a less tight weave. Aaron, have you used, like, waterproof gaiters with your, say, Gore-Tex hikers? Like, I know even for, like, dew, walking in a wet grass, having some knee-high gaiters on seems to really help that water, you know, keeping it off your the tongue of your boot or off your, you know, your laces where it might soak in. Have you done that much before? 100%. Yeah, absolutely. I've done that. Uh, most of my recent Western hunting, uh, I'll at least bring a pair of gaiters just because they're so much lighter weight and... You can shed them when you need to. That you can dump that little bit of heat out of them, but they make a huge difference. Um, and even you know, in whitetail season here, if there's six plus inches of snow, I'm going to throw those on. And especially if it's in that 32-ish degrees, uh, where you might get a little bit of sloppy snow, or you know, there's a crunchy layer on top of something that's softer. And it sucks to go climb a tree and then be sitting with that heavy layer of something on your feet. And I would much rather throw the gator on to keep myself dry, and then I can go climb the tree. I can pull them off and then shake those gators off uh, and be dry, dry to sit. I've got to wear. I got to use mine more during hunting season. I haven't used them a ton unless I go in in the morning, and I know it's going to be dewy grass. Um, but I might just throw on my rubber boots then too. But in the springtime, when I do some shed hunting and my spring scouting, if there's snow, like you said. I don't go out without my gaiters because I don't want to put on miles through snow. Uh, just that play in your foot, I get blisters on my heel. But having my hikers on with the gaiters, man, that, that gets me through the entire winter, spring, scouting, shed hunting. I, I love the gaiters. I was just talking about gaiters at work today. Really? Uh, yeah, and T&K hunting gear was uh, part of the they make conversation. And I hear that theirs are pretty well made. I think most of what they make is pretty high That's quality. That's all made in the USA stuff, right? Yeah. Um, I've not had a big need for gators with the, my approach so far, but you know, Greg and I, I don't, I think, do you wear the gum leaf boots too? I've got a pair. Yep. Mm -hmm. I know they, they've tried to maybe similar to what you had helped with, um, getting a, a boot into the whitetail and hunting category. They had not traditionally been, they were like farm boots. And then they're like, we have a product that we should, you know, aim at whitetail hunters. So at some point we were working with them a while back. Um, they're still friends of the brand. I think they're on our website actually. Um, but their, they, their claim is like they're handmade and they are made with like real, yep, real rubber, rubber, 80% real rubber rather than like PVC percentage. mixtures. And so they're, they're less, they last, long. they last long and don't break down as fast or get brittle. Um, sure. and I find that to be interesting. They're comfortable. Like I, I, I enjoy them. They're for a thinner foot. I have a pretty wide foot. Yeah. I know what I'm saying. Foot. Foot. <laughs> they last long unless but, you throw them in the uh, the old ozone generator, like a lot of guys. So disclaimer for anybody who's playing uh -huh. with the ozone machines, ozone and rubber slash elastic, they're not friends. No. So. I've never thrown my boots in the ozone, but you don't yeah. need to. No, no. <laughs> but you know they they're comfortable. They're they're great. They they fit for most use cases. But I'm the kind of guy. I, I mean, when I started hunting, I I had all the stuff my dad got me, and it was the Mickey Mouse boots. And those are like from World War II or something. And those are the heaviest pair of boots ever. <laughs> so, so they are bomb proof. Ever since I had enough money to start buying 
anything for hunting. The first thing I bought was boots. And I got like, I've, I've been through Under Armour, Muck, Lacrosse, um, Irish Setter. I believe I had a pair. Of, I've tried so many boots and uh, I've really only done the rubber ones. I don't know what it is with me, but I think it's just because of the slipper. <laughs> it's a slipper. So what's your favorite one? What's the go-to? Uh, I like the Gumleys, but you know, that's not great in winter because there's not a lot of insulation. So I just oh. switched to, I have, I have now a winter boot. I forget what they're called. Um, I got them at Fleet Farm. Something insulated? Thin yeah, something? they're... Uh, they were a very hefty rubber boot. Did you? I can't remember the brand did name. You buy Camex. Camex. Yeah. 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 They're huge. The Camex Impact, I think, is the, the boot. And it's a. It's like, you put. I put it on. It looks like I'm going to war. They are giant. I look like I'm putting on like, uh, you know, Iron Man suit or something. And those are my feet. But even with all that thinsulate, I I don't know. My feet just are just get cold. Yeah. So when I go gun hunting, I know I'm just going to sit for a long time because there's 600,000 people in the woods that weekend. I'm not trying to like walk around the woods a lot. <laughs> um, Piss everybody yeah. off. Yeah. So when I just sit there, that that's my, that's one that I go with and, and my feet do pretty good in those by and large. Well, you stop generating but heat and you're all the moisture that you just built up. Getting in there. You can't get out of that boot. It's yeah. not a breathable boot. So it holds that moisture in there and that rubber will dissipate the heat real fast. So you're kind of left with a dilemma. It's a pain in the butt what I do, though. Bring a change of socks. I do. I bring a change of merino wool socks. Even with the merino wool on the way in, it's still not. It doesn't matter. Yeah, you're no, still going to soak yep. it. You have to. You need a different pair of so socks. So what early season, the, the antithesis of that, I'm wearing rubber boots. Because, I don't know, water, who knows. But we're, we're usually, when I'm with Greg, we're usually in some swamp or marsh. We're in a swamp. You're not getting away with it. And I'm wearing rubber boot. boots. In that in that terrain, maybe up to a certain point, you might be able to get away with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but even the muck doesn't do well in that. When no. you you know the hiking boots, is, you sink over your ankle. You muck. just filled your socks. Yeah. So then you're bringing a pair of socks again, anyways, right? To right. your feet are sweating so much by the time you get to where you're going. I f- I freaking pack in boots for gun season. Yeah. A lot of I the spots I have to, that. yeah, a lot of the spots, and maybe Aaron, maybe you hunt some spots like this, but I have I have a swamp to go across that's usually wet. Um, so I wear rubber boots in, but then I pack in my Iceman's, my big giant, mm-hmm. you know, insulated boots. Where you know you're going to hit dry land, so you slide into those babies. And pack you, the socks into you know. the rubber boots, put a little plastic bag over them, garbage bag, and then I slide on some fresh socks, and that that is like, Baffin's oh the other God, boot I was thinking of, Baffin. So They're the Canadian boot company, mm-hmm. and they make the one called Impact. I was wrong about whatever I just said. The Camex is not Impact. Well, Camex also a Canadian boot company. Oh, well, go figure. Um, anywho. But it's like, oh, rated for mountain climbing at negative 200 degrees. I'm like, bullshit. My feet are still going to sweat and get cold. Who's climbing a mountain? I don't know. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, they're, they're, it, it, I'll let you chime in here. We've been, we've been chomping the. Yeah, so you've packed in boots before, Aaron? <laughs> With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I have, yeah. Uh, I was going to say the the biggest problem that I saw and had people contact me with, and I'm a freeze baby when it comes mm-hmm. to cold feet, um, and I for a long, long time. And I, again, I played hockey. And so my feet were always cold and I had to, I tried to 
size down or I guess use the appropriate like tennis shoe size that I thought I was. And so if I'm going a distance that I know I'm not going to be blistering my feet, I'll, I'll size up a little bit in boots because having a little bit more room for your foot, because your foot's going to produce heat. So it needs to have a little bit of room like in an oven to cause a little convection. And there's a little bit of airflow within that toe box. You're, it's like being in a sleeping bag that's too tight. So you have to have a little bit of toe box room for your foot to create heat and then to trap that heat within that toe box. So I tell people, if you know that you're going to be sitting a lot, like consider sizing up. It's not for everybody, but if you know you're not going to be hiking in miles, uh, size up. Otherwise, yeah, bring a second pair. It's an extra, what, three pounds to pack a, pack a set of boots that you can slip on once you get there. The other thing I saw is people tried to wear two pairs of socks inside their boot. And if you didn't try two That's pairs of socks on when you bought those boots, two pairs of socks inside your, inside your pair is just going to cause more friction and that's just going to rub. And I mean, it's, it's not any better to wear two pairs of socks. No, it, you actually cut and you don't want to wear cotton, right? Like don't no. wear cotton, you, but you cut the circulation off to your feet when you get things that exactly. tight in there. And then you lost that air, that air pocket in there to, as, a, as an insulator. Having that extra room around your toe, like Aaron just said, is huge. It's because what deal. I found is I got those big Icemans, which are like the insulative layers, like a big giant cushion around uh-huh. your foot. And I used to buy like great big heavyweight wool socks that nope. took up that whole room. And then one time I just wore like my thin little merino wool hiking socks. And my feet were so much warmer mm-hmm. because there was that air around it to insulate. Well, that's my the other thing. My feet were like warm all day. And I was like, mm-hmm. these are hiker socks. <laughs> but there was room around my toes. You, when that, so when you're buying socks, you have thin, medium, and just like you have your underlayers that are like, you know, hot weather, mid weather, and cold weather. It's, it seems like it's all pretty similar. Like you really need to be dressing for the season across the board. Yep. Right. And that's it why helps. it's important to own many different styles and types. That's why it's of important food. to spend all your money on everything hunting. <laughs> you need <laughs> to have it. For, you know what pisses me off the most? You know what grinds my gears is early season. It's so short. Early season heat is like yeah. sucky as it's going to be this weekend. This is so short lived. Oh yeah, it's going to snap up real quick and get chilly. So my argument of like buying early season gear is kind of like meh. I don't. I'm going to go hunting season. like twice early season. Do I, don't I really need season. this stuff? Can I just take my shirt off? <laughs> I just got a bunch of crap I've used forever. This is just normal. It's just going to get shit. nasty, and that is what it is. Yeah. I'm sweating it. It's going to go in the wash. But ideally, I would love to have some really nice gear for early season. I just can't justify it. Early season gear for me is just the same gear as I would use during turkey season. Well, yeah, yeah, if you're hunting turkey and another species of animals. If you're an ecologist and you understand all of the animals. (laughs) (laughs) This is quite the skill set. Ecology and boot. You really are a boot expert. That was really well-navigated talk. That was a healthy conversation about boots. What's your favorite pair of boots for early season? Oh, gosh. Some brand's going to get some love today. Like I said, I, I'm, I was kind of partial, part and partial to the Irish Setters. Um, I used a model that they unfortunately discontinued, but it was a super breathable but still had a really kind of heavy sole um, because it was super durable that I could use whether I was hunting mule deer and elk out west for archery season in September or sitting early season for whitetails or turkey hunting in the spring and knowing I was going to be running gunning. 
So it was a model called the Ravine that they unfortunately discontinued. But for me, it covered kind of the best uh, of all worlds. Like I said, a lightweight upper with a medium to heavyweight sole. Uh, it needed to have some good traction and uh, wasn't going to wear out after just a couple of seasons. How high was that boot? Was it over the ankle, just below the ankle? I had, I had it in, when you work for a boot company, you justify a lot of extra boot purchases. <laughs> uh, they don't you just give them to you for product testing? Uh, well, luckily, Guys, I'm, I'm the expert. 13, so I was a test size. Uh, so I did get a chance to test size a couple or test product a couple, but I had a seven inch pair that was probably my favorite. I've still got a pair. And before they went out of production, I bought a couple pairs of them. So I've just been going down the line. Saving Cycling them. them in, yeah. <laughs> uh, there was 400 gram nine inch model that I, I liked as well, but kind of that seven inch for me was good. And especially if I was going to use a gator, uh, then, you know, now that's a, that's a knee high boot. Mm-hmm. That's nice. I'm really intrigued by the Gators. But so then it's like, well, I got to buy a Gator and a boot. And what does that put me at a price point? So then like the, the gum leaves, which are like, honestly, they're very expensive. But I'm also but going on season three or four. You're not going to wear them in a place where you're going to be hiking over a lot of rocks. Well, that's just things. it. But, uh, but it's like, yeah, so now I'm buying two things and my price point is going up uh-huh. considerably. Just like, buy all the things. Just buy it, buy it it's all only right money, guys. It. Yeah. Only yeah. Just keep working. But then I'm like, you know, so I, when I went to the Boundary Waters, feet and shoes were a really big consideration because you're in wet stuff and dry stuff and wet stuff and dry stuff. And wet stuff. So I got, I, I did more research on a pair of shoes than a bunch of waters. And I put into like probably buying my house <laughs> <laughs> and which is unhealthy, honestly, but I ended up going with these, this pair of Keens and, and I did so much research that all three of my buddies bought the same pair of Keens that I bought. And like everything down to the sole of the shoe was like designed to handle that type of terrain. And it worked out really well. I mean, but after the end of the trip, those shoes stunk so bad. Like, oh, yeah, they were done. It was disgusting how bad they stunk. Um, but it's like, yeah, so you really do want a different boot for different types of terrain. I have not ventured into, like, should I get a leather pair of boots or, like, the hiking boot that you're talking about? Like, I don't even know where to start down that path. I've never done that. I've only done the rubber boots. Well, I will say with the gators, I didn't buy them for, for whitetail hunting. I bought gators... For shed hunting. For shed, for moose shed and hunting. And you go up to the, beach, the boundary water canoe area. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of the areas that I was looking for moose sheds were really, really thick burned areas or, I mean, there were so much regrowth. The idea was keep you waterproof and protect your shins. Rubber boots get torn to crap over stumps and, I mean, Especially all log areas. Yeah. They get ripped. Ones, like, yep. But um, having that double cordura over your shins, like, saved It's like a shin guard when you're playing yeah, soccer, I mean, huh? it was, like, amazing. Do you play like, soccer in your gators? Yeah, I do. What's that gator quote? over my shirt? <laughs> Gators bitches He's better be wearing die. jimmies. <laughs> Is that, was that, Jesus. What's that oh, man. quote? I see a new meme coming. <laughs> the, the other guys. Maybe you come out with a comp or come out with an OKS gator. Yeah. And then you're covered. It's just a full body bag. <laughs> <laughs> Mosquitoes. It's Mosquito proof. Waterproof. The OK is get her. Just stay home. Like, <laughs> it even snuggy. keeps the farts in. Everyone says you can't come from the couch. I'm like, have you not tried to drink a beer on the couch before? I'm killing these things just fine. What are you talking about? Bush lattes all day, buddy. I tell you. 
Man, so you must have a lot of pairs of boots. I do too, though. I really do. My wife's like, oh, how many so shoes many. and boots yeah. do you need? I'm like, uh, yes. I don't know. And when I was working like in IT, I had to have fancy shoes also. And that got stupid too. Well, I need to have these ones and brown ones and black ones and, and loafers and ones with laces. And uh, But again, it, for me, it always just comes into being a slipper. <laughs> lucky yeah. or unlucky, I don't know what you'd call it, but I don't have test size feet like Aaron does that are like common sizes. So back when Cabela's... You got those had, hobbit feet. I got hobbit feet. Yeah, they're short, they're wide, and they make perfect uh, bargain cave boot buys because when Cabela's had the bargain <laughs> cave, the boots that sat on the shelf forever were like the eight and a half double yeah, wides. And I was like... Hey, I see you over there hiding in the uh, back. I can never oh, find my size. percent off? I'm like yes, the I'll size. Take the Mendel boots for 70 what are, bucks. What are you, Greg? 12? 13. 13, that is yeah. a big boy. I'm a 12. 12 like a, 11 and 12 are so common. I'm like, I'll find a shoe or a boot that I like, and then they don't have it because it's sold out. Yeah. Yep. It drives me crazy. Just cut your toes off. For us, they sure. used to make every new size or every new style in a, uh, in a nine. And then if it passed out of nine, then they would test it in 11 and 13. And if it passed out of that, then they'd push it into mass production. Hmm. So I had to make it through like the first couple of oh my God. before Come they on, would guys. Like, yeah. <laughs> you can have a boot. That's wild. Are you, so where do people find you? Are you on Instagram, on Facebook? Like, do we talk about backcountry hunters and anglers with the, what you're doing there? Is there anything you want to do to like, kind of wrap things up here and, and really cover the whole gambit of what you have going on based on that, uh, all the accolades you had in your intro. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, so my, uh, Instagram handle is Hey, H E Y underscore bison. Um, and Facebook is just my name, Aaron. Hey, bison. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so now, uh, after, after the boot company found myself actually while I was at the boot company, um, was volunteering with backcountry hunters and anglers, uh, in 2015, I went on an antelope hunt for this dude behind me. Um, and, uh, was out, you know, you're going out West and a lot of what you're doing is on public land. I mean, I never really, I had family land growing up, so we never thought too wildly about public land it was just like the place you could go when you had hunted out your properties um or you weren't in the area and you're like let's try something new um but going out west like you pretty much have to use public land there's so much of it and i didn't really figure out why or understand why uh it was the way it was until seeing it out there and you're like oh holy smokes there's all of this place and this was before on x and you know, you're going places and you're pulling up flat maps and looking for um, no trespassing signs because in the Midwest, you have to post those every so hundred many, you know, so often. And out West, it's the hunter's responsibility to know what's public and private. Well, if it's not posted, you know, we, we kind of got ourselves in some hot water and we're out doing a stock on what we thought was public. And the rancher comes out shaking a fist at us that we were trespassing. And after that, I was like, I'm not going to hunt this state anymore. Like, I was pissed off at Wyoming, and I was like, hunting out west sucks. Um, luckily, we were able to get on some animals on true public. And, I mean, that's like I said, where I got this antelope. But, um, you know, you do it enough times, and you're like, I'm on public land, and I can see public land. But there's this gate here uh, that 
uh, there's nothing about a gate on a map, uh, but some rancher decided to throw a gate up across what was a public road. And it really made me be like, I'm not going to do this Western thing again. Fast forward six months, and I found out about this organization called Backcountry Hunters and Anglers that was advocating and trying to bring awareness to the situation um, out west. And at that point, it was fairly small. I joined the Minnesota chapter. I said, sign me up. This is I'm about this. And, and that was in 2016. Um, and at that point, I think I was the 107th member to join the state chapter. Um, and... They saw this, you know, 25-year-old kid who they're like, holy smokes, he's interested in this. Like, The FBI has looked into him. He is, he is good. He's okay. <laughs> we can accept that application. <laughs> they're like, look at all this stuff that he says he does. Uh, he might be lying, but it sounds great. <laughs> um, so so uh, I started volunteering for BHA in 2016. And, yeah, fast forward, you know, over five years. Uh, it finally led to a staff position working as the chapter coordinator for those Midwestern chapters that you mentioned. That's awesome. That's a pretty cool like testimony and like great rite of passage. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And it's well, cool and that you. Here, what what's the saying? Uh, like you be be the change you seek to make in the world, or or you know whatever the damn quote is by some smart person. Yeah, right. Something way deeper than we yeah. can, we can get to. Uh, but yeah, I mean it was. I saw all those issues in the West and like then kind of brought it back home and was like, holy shit, we have such great public access here in the Midwest, both Minnesota, Wisconsin. I mean, we have a, a fair amount of public land uh, and water access is, is everywhere. Uh, you know, if you're in Wyoming and you are floating a river, uh, if you drop an anchor or wade through it and there's a landowner on either side of that, that river, uh, they own up. They own the stream bed itself. So if you put a foot down or drop an anchor, you're trespassing. Uh, and so knowing that, coming back to the Midwest and going, I can walk down a creek, I can drop into a culvert and walk down this creek, and there could be the same landowner on A and on side B, and I'm never trespassing if I'm walking down that creek. And knowing how good our access is here and kind of using that as a cautionary tale, saying, look how good we have it, but this other place over here, uh, we could lose this. Like it's ours till it's not. So like, let's advocate to protect for this. And I just recently through this position found out like in Illinois, they're going through water access issues right now, because not only do a landowner that owns property adjacent to a Creek in Illinois own the, the stream bed, but they own the water flowing itself. So if you are floating a river through Illinois, and someone owns the land uh, or the, the shoreline, you're trespassing by just floating on that river. And so they're really advocating to try and open up water access in Illinois. And I think bring attention to it because I don't think a lot of folks that are going float tubing, going, uh, you know, float fishing down. I mean, there's float tube companies who are taking guided tours down these places that are technically trespassing uh, and they don't know it because of that, that, because it's so okay. effing ridiculous uh, that someone yeah. would claim that. I will back. Like, does Wisconsin yeah. own the Mississippi or does uh, Minnesota. Minnesota own the Mississippi? Is it half right. and half because we share banks on both sides? Like, you know, is it the county that Buttress is up to that? that at some right. point when it's not done at that caliber and that scale, uh, 
then what the hell are we doing with a crick? You know, maybe if the crick is like tiny, 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 and it's not floatable, so to speak. But if you're talking small waterways and rivers where you can actually right. do that kind of activity, you got to. Yeah, it's good to hear you guys are advocating to fight to that BS. Or if we live next to each other and my I live upstream of Derek and my uh, my water flows downstream, is my water now trespassing on Derek's water? All right. <laughs> like yeah, It's a river like. Things flow through and down it. Like, that's and what super you, strange. What you said, Aaron, I can. I think you and I talked about this at that BHA event, but in Illinois, you said, like, not a lot of people know that. I called and asked that question because coming from Wisconsin, we can access public mm-hmm. lands through water. There's so much you don't know. And I had a spot I wanted to check out, and I was like, I don't know what the rules in Illinois. So I called the uh, DNR station, and I spoke with the warden, and the warden was baffled when I asked. They were like, I actually don't know what the law is on that. And oh, I was like, man. well, can you find out? Because, like, I'm going out tomorrow, kind of, you know, it's my bad for not asking sooner, but they literally didn't know. And they were like, yeah, I think you can, but they didn't Well, just really, like you can't own the, 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 the game on a property. Right? No one owns the deer. You shouldn't own the water because it's fluid, literally fluid. <laughs> Nothing more fluid. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible term to use for this right. description, but... Yeah, it's not ever there for more than two seconds. It's it's there and then it's gone. You can't you can't own it. It's passing through. It's just kind of strange that that's uh, something that someone might claim. Yeah. Like the Boundary Water Canary, which we talked about a couple times already. Now, like it borders Minnesota and Canada. I mean, no one owns the waterways. No. Although you do pass into Canada a couple times, so I think you need to be prepared to have like your. I don't know. At there's, least Canadian. There is lessons. those shared areas that yeah. like the border yeah. runs through yeah. the water at the lake. But I think the water really goes into the bordered side of the. You know, unlike Michigan's the same way, you get past a certain point. You're, you're not in. The, you're not in. We're Wisconsin. not in Wisconsin no more. Wisconsin Toto. water anymore. Right. Yep, we're we're in Michigan. And uh, the, I mean, state and provincial agencies are pretty good about respecting each other's lines of like, well, we're going to honor whatever rules you have, and vice versa, on a lot of those like border waters. Uh, and I know with the boundary water, it's like typically even if you're going to plan to stay in Minnesota, a lot of times when you're when you're landing your boat into the boundary waters or taking off, you usually call in and say, hey, we're headed in, uh, and you call in just in case you cross into Canada or, you know, land on an island out there that happens to be in uh, Canada's property. Um, back to boots, because Tony yeah, asked Tony, a great question. Tony, Actually, fair, I'm fair curious question about this. question I've always wondered myself. Yeah, are the heated insoles worth a shit? And the way he asked the question is perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I would have asked it, Tony. Because that's, that's an investment, right? Well, it's interesting. Right? Right. And they have the heated, but you also have those, just like you get your hand warmer packs, they have those for, for your boots, those sticky well, things you put in there. They might even still have heated socks where you put the battery packs yeah. in there and, yeah. and you turn them on. But If you're they? sitting and you've brought in a pair I, of... I think... Any of that heat source stuff might be worth a darn if you wear the proper footwear and don't douse them in your sweat. Yeah, probably. Okay, go on. I want to hear the, the yep. expert talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, He's uh, like, yeah, yeah I thought Tony's question, too. Uh, so he talks about the, the pinnacle boots, which are after the ravine was gone, it's like an all leather. The leather is USA made. It's Red Wings proprietary leather, and they are like, bomb proof they are awesome they are what he describes is totally right they are perfect in almost every way uh unless you've got hot feet then they don't breathe as well because they're leather and that's just the plus and minus of leather but uh as far as heated insoles i haven't found them to work for me 
um, because I'm such a freeze baby that if I'm walking in in them, I'm going to sweat. And then I've got a lot. I'm sort of like raising my foot off of the footbed within the boot of like hot foot, hot foot. And, uh, you know, it's sweating. And then I have to take it all out because it's too hot. And now I've got a cold, sweaty foot that's outside of a boot and it's not doing anybody anything. Um, but, uh, I mean, if someone could figure out, you know, you know, you have cold feet, um, and you put those heated insoles in once you got out into the stand and you weren't going to move around anymore, maybe, maybe that would work for you. I just, for me, where I've found to get the coldest, uh, is on the top of my feet. So I'll usually do the totally old school thing about putting like a piece of cardboard or something under your feet. Uh, and then I'll sometimes take either a jacket or those goofy looking boot, uh, booties that slide up over boot the top of your boot. Yeah, boot are great. Yeah. And for me, it's just, it's really, it's blocking the wind from the top because sure. if it's a breathable style of boot, a lot more of that cold air, uh, is coming in through the top of that breathable boot. And that's, what's getting cold on me first. The bottoms could still be sweating, but if I've got the top of my foot not blocked from uh from air then those are going to get cold last season when i was in the saddle i it was warm enough that i was warm enough without my jacket but it was i had enough going on up on my upper layer that i was good but i uh my feet were getting cold so i took my jacket and i stuffed each foot into the arm of my jacket and tied that around like you know and my feet it was the best hack i had ever discovered i think byron horton well, with white experience, he actually, he actually does the sock. The sock. Hat. I took it a step further. I, did, I didn't give him credit, but I used my jacket, and it was, it game changed the whole situation for me. So now we need a three hundred dollar puffy. So we put our feet in <laughs> it. It wasn't a puffy. It was probably like a, a eighty dollar Wally World. Thin enough boots, small enough boots, and you have a big enough pair of old crappy wool socks that you can cut off and just put around, you know, the yeah. tool box at least up to the arch of your foot you're probably going to be miles ahead. It was incredible. Honestly, I was like, thank goodness I had this figured out. And so even if you can just bring like a hoodie, I don't know, or the sock, whatever. Um, I'm, I'm probably like not the right guy to listen to here. Cause you guys are all have better solutions, but it worked for me. And that well, situation, that's situation. You have, you make it work, right? You have it, you like make it work. I think that's, that's good. He's putting Patagonia on his feet. Yeah. Right. No, it was, it was a cheapie. I'll, I mean, I'll sometimes just stack my backpack up over the fronts of my toes and just, like, squat with, if I'm on the ground or something like that, block that breeze with the backpack that I've got. Uh, I saw Tony's question come in about the new wireless insoles. I haven't personally used wireless insoles. Uh, for me, anything more electronic tends to go wrong. So uh, the, more, the more technology I use, there's one more thing that can fail me in the field. Uh, so I use fixed broadheads, uh, so, you know, whatever. If, if it's mechanical, it tends to go wrong on me. So I haven't used them, but uh, I, so I can't speak to the, the electronics. I, I think that would be a neat way to go if you don't, if they're not powered on until you need them. If they're heating your feet on the walk-in, it's excessive. And if your feet finally cool off and you can crank that thing on for a little bit, that's probably a pretty interesting mechanism, I would imagine. And I think it's the same with, like, the heated vest people wear, you know, underneath. Would, like, yeah, you when don't, you, you start don't to find the cool off. when you walk in, right? right? Like, you, when you've been sitting for an hour and you start to get the chill and you crank it up, I think that the wireless ones would... I never understood that when I first got into hunting as a kid with my dad. He'd be like, just 
ruined with sweat. Hot. He's like, oh, I'm hot. I'm hot. I'm hot. Ah. Did he wear he, everything on the way? Well, but on the way, and he would. You know he, he did. Would, yeah, Cotton I think underwear too. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he's the one that taught me. Cut. He literally the the. the he still say it to this Cotton day. Cotton killer. kills. But he, I wouldn't layer down. I would be like, "Are you freaking nuts? You're taking all your clothes off when you go out into the woods? Like, what is wrong with you?" I was like, "Not a chance." And I would, you know, sweat my ass into the Northwoods as a big orange blob, like the kid from a Christmas story, just, you know, Michelin man my way out there. And I would be hot. And then I would cool off. I would, at that point, take it all off and cool off and let it air out and stuff. And then I'd zip back up when I was fine. I could handle it when I was young. Now I'm like my dad. I'm like, I'll go in where next to as little as I possibly can on the way in until I need it. So that's, that's right. for sure. Walking cold and boots are the same way. If you can walk in cold, uh, you're gonna you're gonna appreciate it a lot better layer than up if when you you're have up to when you're settled oh. in. Then you layer up, and then you're much better off. Yeah, Joel, won't be long before there will be Bluetooth feet warmers. That's what those electric ones might be. I think I have. Those <laughs> it might be right. Yeah, I think we're here. Surprised. We're living in the future, Joel. I think what we have to do now is been determined that we need to make a saddle platform that has like the jacket hoodie. built it's into a it. Built in, like yeah, little hood. <laughs> Except for when it gets wet, it's just disgusting. Yep. Yeah, maybe. Well, then you, you can waterproof it. I mean, it's, yeah. it sounds super corny, but people talk about, you know, going and ice fishing and standing on a piece of cardboard, but that little layer, that super thin quarter inch of insulation I'll tell you between what. your own you go, and the, the ice. You go, as a contractor, go do a job in a, an unheated space with, with concrete poured, and you nothing will suck the heat out of you quicker than a, a frozen cold job site with with concrete you're walking on cold concrete you know call it 20 degrees out and you're trying to put heat in a building we would lay down cardboard or we would walk on sheets of plywood and it would be surprised how much that helped well i used to when i first started ice fishing we had a pop-up shanty and it was plywood and then later on i got one of those pop-up ones that just pops up over the ice and i was like man the other one was better <laughs> Yeah, way Warmer. colder. Way yeah. colder when you're on the ice. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, uh, good stuff, man. Thanks for, for jamming out with us. And um, But, you know, is there any way that folks can help out with this, like, water access BS that's going on? Do we need to join backcountry hunters and anglers? How, you know, let's bring in the plane in for landing here. Yeah, for sure. No, uh, I mean, so depending on your state, uh, we've got chapters in 48 states. Uh, for backcountry hunters and anglers, it's a nationwide organization. We've got about 30,000 members nationwide. Um, so Minnesota and Wisconsin are in the top, I think, six and seven or five and six right now as far as population size. Wisconsin's got 1,200 members and Minnesota's got 14. So we have a good representation in the Midwest and we're growing every month. So, uh, yeah, if people want to join, uh, it is currently public lands month. And so that means that we're doing all kinds of stuff on, uh, bringing awareness to different access projects, uh, doing local events and get togethers, doing, um, you know, work projects, fence removals, boat ramp cleanups, depending on your state, there's probably a project going on. So, uh, if you do go to backcountryhunters.org, and uh, if you do it right now, do backcountryhunters.org slash free before the end of the month and in addition to the normal uh quarterly journal stickers uh discounts from part you know corporate partners that you'll always get they are giving away right now a bha gerber knife 
so for the cost of basically a knife, you can join uh, BHA and get all those benefits. And then you're going to also get updates from anything that the mothership at BHA headquarters does, as well as updates on when things are happening in your area. Uh, and maybe, Derek, you got the email, but today I sent out an email for a pint night that's going on tomorrow night in yep. La Crosse. Yep. Um, so, yeah, for, for example, I mean, that's, that's events that are going on all over the place across the country um, from chapters doing killer work, like I said, whether that's get-togethers that are just meant to be casual, social, uh, get out and share the hype before the season, or true boots-on-the-ground projects of boat ramp cleanups, trail cleanups, um, fence removals on public lands. Like, we're doing the work as well as, you know, getting out and, and getting each other excited about the season. Yeah, it's a it's a great mix. Uh, like Aaron said, they have projects that you can do to really better your area, your environment, your access. And I know the first event I went to was just a fun one. It was a pint night up in Green Bay. We went to one of the old cinemas and the full draw film tour. Um, we watched some hunting videos, met with other members, had a couple beers. And then I just met with Aaron uh, this past summer at uh, the state rendezvous, which was a really good time. And I can't wait to go to again next year. Great. That was a fun event. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. yeah, we had a booth there. Even you guys invited us. Pretty awesome. Hopefully you didn't regret that choice. <laughs> No, no but I just, I mean, by uh, Derek kind of sandbagging, going and uh, doing the, the all these archery shoots. I know you guys had one at Horicon then too. So, he, you know, I talked, I listened to your last episode about season prep, and it sounds like he's just jumping ahead of everybody, but he's just going out and shooting all these archery shoots. Try him. <laughs> Try him, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. Trying to get things squared away and ready to go here. That Horicon Bowman, uh, they have a really cool course. We got to shoot it after our event. I didn't get to shoot it when we were at the BHA one because I like people just come up, kept coming up to our table. And I couldn't like leave it, which is awesome. Uh, so it's fine. And and Greg's bow is still in the shop. I think mm-hmm. you did have it for a little bit there. Where you I, broke I it. Yeah, just in time for the <laughs> event. We didn't take much time to shoot, and then yeah, it, yeah, I broke it. So, and here we are. Here we are. Just about to get in season. You got a loner bow, and we're uh, about as set as we can be. So, thanks for hanging out with us tonight on on the show. Uh, you know, again, for folks that tuned in live, it'll be in podcast land this evening. If you're listening live, thanks for tuning in. You know, a, a shameless plug for ratings and reviews. If you like what you hear, leave us one. And uh, if you don't like something, tell us about it so we can make improvements. We're always happy to get feedback as long as it's constructive and you're not being an a-hole about it. We'll listen. <laughs> uh, you know, if you're being an a-hole about it, we'll probably perseverate for a little bit and then still be nice. That's <laughs> all good. But, uh, no, Aaron, we appreciate your time, and uh, thanks for hanging in there with us through the technical, you know, crap storm that we navigated. Uh, thanks for, for that and hanging out there. And, uh, yeah, we'll end the live broadcast. If you want to hang out for a minute here, we'll, we'll chat with you. And everybody have a great night. See ya. No problem, guys. Good luck this season. Yeah, you too.